Welcome to episode 245 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd and vice versa. Whatever way I normally do that. I don't recall if that's how I normally do it, but that's the way I'm doing it for today. And we are brought to you live. Uh, if you're here with us right now, uh, we're live from the uh, Pat Cave of Magenta Manor. And uh, we are, of course, brought to you by the Dorkening Podcast Network. And as such, we are sponsored by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you have to make a very difficult decision as to whether or not to go back. And uh, making faces at me here, uh, you, which you can't see because it's radio, is my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ooh, I did that in one breath. It's Ashes Von Nightmare. I'm impressed by your uh, breath control. Yes, I've been doing Lamaze. better. You've been doing Lamaze. <laughs> yeah. Working on your breathing exercises. Yes. Yes. Uh, but we are, uh, we're joined today. We have a very special guest. Uh, if you saw our Godzilla episode, you got to see her in uh, all of her adorable awesomeness. Uh, she is an admin over at the Amalgamania Group. We have, ladies and gentlemen, it's Colleen. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. And uh, we're going to be today talking about uh, something that I've been trying to get Ashes to watch for quite some time. And that is the Resident Evil series of movies. The uh, there's six of them. So uh, Sextology, I think is what it's called. Sounds like, that does not sound right. Well, that, that's that's the it's you know. Is that the porn version? No, that's it's uh, if you, when you talk about like big numbers like million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, septillion, it's based off the of Latin, I think. I don't know, but that's reptilian. Reptilian. That's no, that's uh, our government overlords. Okay, the reptilians. Yes. Uh, or if you've read my book, there's reptilians in that too. Um. But yeah, this, so there's six of these movies spanning from, uh, I believe, 2002 to 2016. Basically, we got one every other year, uh, although we had to wait four years for the uh, final chapter from uh, part five to part six. And it doesn't have as much to do with the games, although a lot of the characters from the games make cameos. But I think that was more fan service than anything else, because those characters could have been called anything. But uh We'll get into that a little later, but Colleen, since it is your first time on the show, that means you get getting into character questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so enthusiastic. Yeah. Happy to be here. Very excited. <laughs> no, delving very deep. Mr. Jefferson. I'm going to say it's, it's almost like on, uh, on Family Guy when they had uh, Prince on The Prices, Right. It's like, oh, 350. It's like, what is it? 350. It's like, oh, you win. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start off with some uh some uh some awesome getting into character questions. So Colleen, are you are you ready for this? I am. Is all right. See that? See that? That's a little more enthusiastic, a little more uh little less yeah. little more yeah. <laughs> It's like when we're trying to get Emma to be more extreme on the sports show. It's like, Emma, are you extreme? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, Colleen, your first question. 
which uh, I don't think any of these are going to have anything to do with Resident Evil or, uh, you know, any any other reason why you would be here. But uh, first question for you is, what is your favorite smell? Ooh, lavender and lilacs, actually. Always floral stuff or or fall, you know, like when it's like right around mm-hmm. Halloween and all the leaves are crunchy and like swirling around and you get like that scent. And it's like mm, that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That cool Christmas that you can just you can smell it like I can smell it like just thinking about it. I can smell it. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my favorite scents too. Smells like, like uh, leaves and dead insects. Exactly. It smells delicious. Yes, fuck you, Miss. <laughs> if you could spend a day in any universe, any fictional universe, what universe would you choose? Well, that's so hard because I'm such a fan of like everything there is. Um, but I'm going to go with the Dresden universe. So if anyone has read the Harry Dresden novels by Jim Butcher, which I highly recommend, that would be probably one of my number one um, places to go because they have everything from werewolves and witches and fae creatures to uh, ghosts and everything supernatural. So that's kind of like everything that I like. So that would probably be one of my go-tos. But for one that most people would be uh, inclined to know, I guess I would go for um, Game of Thrones universe, so long as I was actually uh, a lord or lady, because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be a peasant in that place. Well, that kind of ties into my question, because I know you're a huge Game of Thrones fan. Like, I think that's kind of how we met uh, and like became friends is through like our Game of Thrones group and like talking about the episodes and whatnot. I think it was the fantasy draft that I did. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> I loved that. That was so fun. Oh, it was so much fun. I wish yeah. it was still going. And like the, I the, think the magic of Game of Thrones when it when it just when not the, the last uh, season when the prequel series comes out. I think that's something that we have to we have to bring back. Oh, is, I love that. Yeah, is that um, so. That my question is, as a lord or lady, what would your house sigil be? Ooh, ooh, another good one. All right. So if I was in that you have to describe it the way George R. R. Martin describes it. They're like, you know, a white wolf on a gray field. We don't have that kind of time to describe it the way George R. R. Martin would describe it. Yes, just just the the, the color, <laughs> you know, just the shield. It's very worthy. All right. So I would do um, a silver or golden phoenix over a black field. Like, and just one straight in the middle. Just so it's like bright and stands out and you can see it from across like a battlefield. Because I think that that would be a pretty cool sigil to have. And I don't think that there are any phoenixes uh, being used in that oh, world or realm, if I remember. So Very do- few birds in general. Like general. Well, just uh, the errands with the the um, falcon over the moon, I believe, or through it, a crescent. And uh, Littlefinger with the mockingbird and oh, the yeah. watch with the ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your house words be? Mm, let's see. Um, uh, burned by embers, maybe. Ooh, there you go. So well with that. I was I was gonna say probably something like you know 
rise even stronger or something like that. Mm. Yeah, that's a little bit better. <laughs> I'm going to pick what he did. So Okay, that's fine. That's a totally acceptable. <laughs> what would you would one up a guest, Patsy. Uh, what would uh, what would mine? Well, yeah, what would your sigil? Oh, like? oh what would your house words be? Oh, that's easy. This is like a really good question. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. That was fun. Shark, but like, what colors would you choose? It would be. Uh, would it be an armored shark? No, it would be a a a pale white shark on uh, a split field. So it's going to be like the diagonal, like where it's you know one color up top, mm-hmm. and and then you know it's like a checkerboard type background. Uh, and it would be um, black and blue, like checkerboard, with a pale white shark. Like, not quite white. Like, if I could make it opaque, I would do it like a milk carton color. Ecru. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that word is, but that sounds, that sounds <laughs> that, about that, right. That sounds like a color. That sounds like a word. Good. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's kind of like on The Simpsons when Lisa's like, I'll take uh, 100, uh, 25 on saffron, 25 on goldenrod, 25 on daffodil, and 25 on this. The guy's like, all right, 100 yellow. Uh, and then my house words would be science and pizza. <laughs> or pizza and science. It depends on the day. But I would, you know, it'd probably be, no, it'd probably be something like, uh, like science and imagination. That's, <laughs> I expect like a little SpongeBob wave at the top. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I said that imagination is more important than knowledge and in not, in not uh, imagination is what uh helps people to create things like Jules Verne has one of the greatest imaginations of all time oh. some of his things that he would put in his books like tv submarines like all these things that he imagined that we eventually created a hundred years later you know like so all these things that he thought of and you know came up with we now have like think about all the things that were only like you know like dick tracy getting phone calls on his watch now everybody does that and it's mundane yeah i think there's like yeah i think there's like a whole school of thought and theory on that about how fantasy um you know comes before reality and it's once we have the idea we make it happen is usually the Mm -hmm. thing H.G. Uh, Wells came up with the idea of an atomic bomb. Like, mm-hmm. I think it was the Man in the High Castle was the uh, was the book, the Philadelphia Experiment. You know, yep. time travel, shit like that. Like, there's so science and imagination. You know, something like science begets imagination, or you know, imagination begets science. So something, something along those lines. How about you? Cats and wine. I, I think it's pretty obvious. Like my my sigil would be a bright magenta, and like a deep burgundy color, like the color of a nice merlot. My sigil, like the, would have a, a, a an ornate chalice goblet on it. Goblin. And my words would be, "Hear me, wine." 
<laughs> I support this. <laughs> so uh next next getting into well, character I mean, question I, for you. I'm gonna keep this whole Game of Thrones thing. If you could warg into any animal, which animal um, would you choose and why? Dragon, because flight and I get to burn anyone I don't like. So. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the only acceptable answer in that universe. Yep. <laughs> I haven't read any of the books, but I'm familiar with some of the subject matter of the books. And the fact that Bran isn't the only one who has warging abilities that most of the Stark children do. Like the fact that they didn't. The only one really... you don't know about is Sansa. Sansa. <laughs> The fact that they didn't really explore that in the show kind of makes me sad because yeah. there was a lot of possibility there. I mean, you know, obviously they had uh, an initial bond with the dire wolves that they each Especially received. the way that if you, you know, rewatch episode one, John turns like he heard something, but there's no sound except the wind. Yep. And then he's like, oh, did you hear that? Like and then goes to look and then finds ghost, but ghost right. doesn't make any noise. But you know, and and it's uh, kind of hinted at in the series that John has uh, a bond with ghost. You know, and and it's not unlike you know bonds that a lot of humans have with their animals. You know, but but they kind of hint at a bond that's maybe a little a little more powerful than that. They're really in tune with each other. Like Ghost waking up and kind of looking at him right before he resurrects. Right. But, you know, I, I just I, I kind of wish they had explored that warging ability of the Stark children a little bit more. Well, to kind of touch on this just a smidge before we move on to the next question in the uh, in the books, Melisandre looks into the flame and sees john but then like sees his head on a wolf body or he has a wolf head and then back to a man like he changes from a man to a wolf to a man and when he gets stabbed ab right before he dies he says ghost and at the beginning of that book there's a whole thing about this guy Veramir six skins who as he's dying wargs into a wolf and then like that animal's dying and then he wargs into a person and like he keeps jumping from you know, person to person, it's called a second life. So that's why they, they mm -hmm. talk about Rob dying twice, because in the book, mm -hmm. he doesn't say mother. He says Grey Wind and wargs into Grey Wind, who then gets brutally killed. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's that whole second life thing, you know, and Arya gets taken in by the faceless, faceless men. And they're more impressed with not the fact that she can fight blind, but that she fights blind by warging into a cat and using the cat as her eyes to fight blind against the wave. So like, they're like, Oh, you can do that. Well, you just became a way better assassin. So let's see what we can do with that there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we don't know what's going to happen with John, obviously until the next book, because that's the last thing we hear from him is ghost. Yeah, and I think like in the books because I I'm madly in love with them. Uh, they always make such a big deal about the link between all of the Stark children and their direwolves. And anytime that like unfortunately I think ladies and um, Grey Wind or 
right? Grey wind. Yeah, that's uh, right. One are the only ones that like die, and like it's made such a giant deal in the books, like like as if a part of those Stark children has died, and I think it's because they have that uh, bond and that warging ability with that specific animal, and whether or not it's innate in their bloodline by being a Stark. I, I hope that's something that they get into in the upcoming books, but I think that that's like a huge deal and cool and awesome. Well, I just, I just, uh, I love how it's like supposed to be so rare, but they can all do it. It's kind of like, again, Simpsons reference where they're trying to figure out why uh, if from the episode two dozen and one greyhounds, when the uh, they're trying to figure out why Santa's little helper is destroying everything. And so uh, the guy at the pet shop's like, uh, let me try a human canine mind meld. It's an incredibly rare technique possessed only by me and four other clerks, uh, three other clerks at this store. <laughs> it's like the same thing. It's like, ooh, warging, like, yeah, we'll, oh, I could go into Game of Thrones. Like, we should do Forever. another Game of Thrones episode. Like, I could, oh my God. Um, so, final question, and, you know, we'll just keep the Game of Thrones theme going. Uh, where would you, uh, where would you settle? Like, uh, if you're a lord, you know, or a late, well, you're not, you wouldn't be a lord, you'd be a lady. Uh, you know, she could be a lord if she wants to. Say, <laughs> Don't force your gender norms on her. Well, I'm just saying, she calls herself a mom all the time, so I would assume that she's a lady. Um, I would say, uh, where, where would you like to be situated and why? Like, which. I yeah, I, I think I fit way more into the ladies of the north because they don't play nice. <laughs> like, um, and how far north? Like, would you be like? I would actually border the Riverlands. I think because you don't want to go um, too too far to the north because then you have to deal with all the raids all the time and the free folk and all of that fun stuff. And I don't think I want to <laughs> so but if you get that sweet spot between the riverlands and like the uh, farther north so i wouldn't want to have to deal with um the phrase so probably up towards the west so almost between casterly rock and the um what do they call them the twins there mm. that the uh phrase are yes they're in charge of yeah mm. so somewhere around there so like tully lands ish yeah, I think the Tullys are a tiny bit more east, but yeah. See, I see. That's what I was going to ask. Like, you know, how far north? Like, do you want to be like part of Bear Island? Because there's a theory that goes around that Tormund is Leanna Mormont's dad. So when he's always uh, talking about like, oh, I fucked a bear, I fucked a bear, I fucked a bear, he's referring to Mage Mormont. That would be cool. I would love that. Because they're I like a real theory. They're like super like warrior esque. Like, you know, Mage Mormont is like a super badass. Like mm. and you, you really the only other place you see women fighting like that, aside from the far north, is Dorne. Mm. So yeah. I, it, I, it's I, how they have like the the extremes uh for their women and then it's like when you get to like the little uh Middle, you get middle, middle. Call it. it's like women are just like eh, they're they're not mouthy and they have to all play the royal game so mm -hmm. it's yeah the south in dorn north in the north and as you get close to the middle everyone's like ew 
I'm Marjorie Tyrell. Look at me. Look at my boobs <laughs> while I, I distract you while I poison you. <laughs> she's hard though. She 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 knows what she's doing. It's one thing to be deadly on the outside and always show forth. It's a whole other hard ball game to play quiet and meek and be able to win people over uh, playing an entire political game. Like I was saying, it's another thing to have Olena Tyrell as your grandmother. Yeah. These these matriarchs are not fucking around. And I I that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy about Game of Thrones is, you know, yes, some women are painted in a very stereotypical light, you know, that we see in these, you know, we'll say like medieval fantasy drama type of of, you know, series and films and books and whatnot. But there's also some really intense badassery woven in there. And it's not always just might related. It's intelligence. It's slyness. It's cunningness. It's well, just you know, cunning. Just I'm, I'm gonna say cunningness. <laughs> cunningness. It's a word. It is now. Look it up. Mm-hmm. Putting it in the dictionary as we speak. Cunningness. Um which is so like appreciated. So yes, you know, you had these like feeble and meek women who, you know, and, and, you know, Santa, but, but well, and I mean, I, I, I normally, I would say yes, but after that final season, like I well, find no, myself, like, you know, really defending until her, Sansa. Once her wolf died, she started transitioning over to kind of touch yeah. on what Colleen said. Because she was like, oh, I love Joffrey. I want his babies. So (laughs) product of her upbringing, she was just behaving the way that she was taught to behave. Well, Arya was taught to behave that way. But see, but here's the thing. Arya was the youngest. There's a big difference from being the eldest daughter and the youngest daughter. The youngest daughter, because Rickon was younger. Well, I'm saying, yes, but, but, you know, uh, as, as the eldest daughter, Sansa was supposed to marry, you know, a king. She was supposed to a, a, marry at least up, a lord. Yeah. You know, like at that, least, that was her, at least her that was her lot in life. She was to marry up and bear a son. And that's what she was taught. And she was taught to sew and she was taught to be proper and she was taught to be, you know, and we love lemon and cakes. to be, you know, um, docile to, the right and you know it took her a while to kind of break free from those invisible chains that were shackled to her yeah she was she was definitely broken very young and like played the game fairly well until she she very uh reminiscent of cersei like biding her time until she had power and influence backing her up and then, you know, that final season, she really came into her own and she was like, hey, you know what? You could do whatever you want, but the North is mine. Yeah. She's like, I'm the Lady of Winterfell. End of story. And I was like, you know what? Good for you. You deserve it. After everything you've been through, everything you've learned, you're continuing to learn, you know, like she was, she was, it's not that she was stupid. Naive. You know, exactly. There was a, an, an innocence and a naivety about her. Um, you know, even after some of these horrible things happened to her and uh, she really started to change after after Ramsey, mostly. Yes. 
But you guys really love like strong women in fantasy. Um, there's this one series by uh, Jacqueline Carey called uh, the Kushield's Dart and Kushield's Dart Legacy. Like it's a whole uh, set in series in a fantasy world that's kind of similar to Game of Thrones because there's a lot of political intrigue, uh, crazy creative land. Um, but uh, it centers around a girl that is brought up almost to be a kind of courtesan and a spy, all kind of rolled into one. But um, it's done in such an empowering way. And like the whole thing uh, with this specific series is it's um, stated to around this thought of love is that wealth, like everyone can do and be um who they are whatever so long as you know it falls within that realm and like one of the worst things you can do is take someone against their will like in that whole um that world or realm and it's super good reading because it is ridiculously intricate and um action-packed and it is extremely uh well let's just say bdsm friendly <laughs> it's a little naughty that doesn't overtake like the actual uh, fantasy itself. I would actually put it on the same uh, type of terms with uh, George R. R. Martin stuff because it is just done that well. Um, and by a female author that really is um, modern and taps into a world that should be in like that Renaissance type era, but with a modern mindset. So it's really cool. And I totally recommend it to you guys and your readers, I think would like it to or listeners. So, awesome. Hmm. Well, before this devolves into a Game of Thrones conversation, <laughs> any more than it already has. Maybe that's what we need to do for episode 250. Just talk Game of Thrones? Just do a live Game of Thrones episode and just well, kind we of... Can, we can do a nerdum nerddom episode. It's tough that because it's on a Thursday night, but like we could definitely do like four hours of like just nerddom yeah, but not on a th not on a Thursday night. No, I mean this this might that could be, be a, like a future episode. Yeah, like not on a school night. No, not on a school night. <laughs> but yeah, so I think we'll, this is probably a good place to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into the uh, the Resident Evil films one through six, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about Alice and uh, all her different friends. So we will be right back huh i really want to caffeinate myself and others and support small businesses but without having to put pants on huh. i wish there was a way to do that i know i'll ask reflexa reflexa what can i do to caffeinate myself along with others and support small businesses without putting on pants here is a targeted ad based on my constant surveillance of your thoughts and actions. Wait, wh what? Are you looking for a way to caffeinate yourself and others and support small business without having to put on pants? Well, then head on over to DeadlyGroundsCoffee.com. Deadly Grounds Coffee has smooth, rich flavors to satisfy the cravings of everyone on your list. From traditional flavors like pumpkin spice and French roast to more daring flavors like Hell's Fury, Highland Zombie Grog, Day of the Dead Roast, and Witch's Brew. And now, for a very limited time, you can try Butch Patrick's Dragula Dark Roast. Butch Patrick is known around the world for his role as TV's Eddie Munster. And when we deadly grounded him at a horror convention, he became such a big fan of our coffee that he hand-selected one of the roasts to make his very own. 
With most of the conventions on hold, Butch made available a limited supply of his Dragula Dark Roast, named after one of the coolest cars in television history. Personally autographed for our Deadly Grounds coffee fans, it's a delicious roast, silky smooth with a sweet finish. Perfect for any time of day and great for the coffee and Butch fans on your holiday shopping list. This is only available while our limited supply lasts, so hurry and get yours today. This holiday season, it's time to get a little deadly. Go on, you deserve it. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. underground. In a top secret research lab, security has been breached. A deadly virus capable of contaminating the entire world has been released. Oh my god. We have to get out of this building. Who's that? It's the brakes! Okay, we're here to help. Now, an elite team has been sent in to stop it. Five hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal. Who's the Red Queen? State-of-the-art artificial intelligence. The corporation's keeping a few secrets down here. But they have only three hours left before it begins infecting and mutating the whole human race. Everyone stay calm. Get out. Don't listen to anything she says. She's a holographic representation of the Red Queen. She may be our only way out of here. How is she still standing? She isn't standing now. And we're back. What do you need to take a break or anything? Are you good? No, I'm good. Okay, so twenty six thirty five. Let me do that. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you gonna ask her if she needs to take a break? Do you need a drink? what about me what if i have to go pee oh you went before the show so (laughs) you know what you were getting into so all right so and we are back uh so i hope that was uh enlightening you know we we learned a lot about game of thrones so uh, we will see you next thursday no um (laughs) uh, we're gonna start talking about uh resident evil and alice played by uh mila jovovich jovovich i don't know i think it's jovovich but i'm not sure i've always heard it pronounced mila jovovich uh friends call her miljo probably not (laughs) 
Well, that's what I'm gonna call her. Yeah. Let me text her. Like <laughs> Mill Joe. I don't know. That's I don't have her number. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just Google it and like, where's Mill Joe? <laughs> you mean Darko Milicic? It's a different guy. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Mill Joe as uh, Res Eve. Um, so, what is that look? What? <laughs> just abbreviating you, everything. Are we like? Are, are you just just having a difficult time with words today? Words, words, am hard. I word good. <laughs> So anyways, uh, yeah, talking about the Resident Evil films spanning from 2002 until uh, 2016. So the first thing I kind of want to do is uh, have you rank them. So Colleen, I'll let you think about this for a minute because we, we discussed this last night. So I'll, I'll go first and then you can finalize your order because I'm a lot more familiar with them than you are. Right. Uh, for me, I think it goes uh, for the, the four, the five films. Uh, the six six films, sorry, Jesus. In order, it's Resident Evil, Resident Evil Apocalypse, which came out in 2004, Resident Evil Extinction, which came out in 2007, Resident Evil Afterlife, which came out in 2010, uh, Resident Evil Retribution, which came out in 2012, and Resident Evil The Final Chapter, which came out in 2016. Now, that was all off my head. I don't have any notes in front of me. I just knew that right off the top of my head. So... <laughs> I, yeah, I. That's why I'm saying it because everyone should be because that's pretty good. That's how much I enjoy these films and how much I like watching them and talking about them. So for me, I think it goes uh, part two, apocalypse, part three, extinction, part one, uh, part six, part five, part four. No, four five. Retribution was my least favorite. So, Asha's Fun Nightmare. How about you? So, my favorite one is the second one. I loved Apocalypse. the second one so much. I had so much fun with that. I love the introduction of the Jill Valentine character. I thought she was such a badass. I loved her so much. Um, and then I would have to say number one. I liked the first one. I liked the first one. Yeah. I really did like the first one. I thought they did a really good job of setting everything up, especially after seeing the entire series. And like Patsy said, this was my first time watching all of these films in their entirety. Now, I'd seen bits and pieces of some of them, so I didn't realize. I'm like, oh, this is a completely like I saw that part, but I didn't realize that was a different film. Like I thought that that happened in like the first one but apparently it happened in this one they repeat a lot of sets and a lot of scenes um as you go through not repeating it but giving you like different points of view and different things take place and the hive is a very the hive is very much a character like as as much as it's a location mm. it's a character as well and um, the first one does have one of the greatest kills in cinematic history. Oh, the grid? The laser grid. Oh, I, I loved that so much. And then that was the one that, that stuck, out, uh, stuck out the most because I had seen that scene. And as soon as we to got to that that part of the film, I was like, oh, I think I know what this is. And sure enough, the laser started and I was just like, oh, this is this is great. Yeah. You know, it makes the, me you, want an antipasto salad, like just lots of chunks <laughs> of stuff in it. 
But like, you know, I thought that scene was just so brilliant. You you think that you've made it and then all it almost like lures you into this false sense of security. Like, yeah, you know, just a couple of lasers here and there. Sure, it cut I some can of your jump over this. Yeah, you know, it, it cut some of your friends in half. They weren't they weren't paying attention, but you were. You're gonna be okay. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Dodge this. We're gonna uh, cheese grate you. Like just I thought it was just so well done. So yeah, um, it goes two then one then where what's the one that they meet claire redfield three the so, extinction yeah, so two in one the three um which one was four, four <laughs> was, uh, when they're in the prison okay so if we go two one three six four five five was definitely my like like hands down my least favorite i thought that that one was kind of that um, one was an absolute ripoff of the matrix films well i mean there's that that was the one that they tried like it's in 3d um was that the one no afterlife was 3d yes in the prison when the the, the big dude with the giant hammer axe that was the 3d one okay i thought that the, the... sixth the fifth one was the one uh, in the boat with all the simulations going on with Leon and, and so like, Ada when Wong. you watch them all, all consecutively, the uh, they start to meld into each other because some of the story is reiterated, well, especially in each four film. and five. Yeah, um, but yeah, five was definitely my least favorite. I thought that that, that one was kind of unnecessary. We'll get into that, but uh, Colleen, how about you? What's your and it's okay if there's people yelling in the background. That's fine. Oh, yeah, that's, I have four kids. So <laughs> that's another um, thing uh, about me. So they're going to be playing gleefully in the other room. Um, but happy squeals. At least that's a good thing. <laughs> 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 right now. So uh, proud of them. Um, but for me, um, actually, the first one is my favorite one. Just specifically from the nostalgia of it, I remember being so excited because I love the video game so much. So actually went out to the theater to see it, which back in that day, in that time, you know, was a rarity for me. Theater. Um, yeah. What is that? I, I miss going. Um, I remember theaters. The theater. <laughs> a part of the before times. <laughs> but, um, the plague ravaged the country. Yeah. Uh, and Republicans run the earth. <laughs> but yeah, so that was um, my favorite, um, just for the nostalgia for bringing you know a video game that I love to life, even though it was had like it was like more of an inspired by than uh, a true uh, telling. Mm -hmm. I was cool with that. I didn't care. I was just happy to have, you know, a zombie movie that I really liked. I mean, not that I didn't like zombie movies before, but this one just, it stood out and it was different. And it was I, kind of tied to the, the video games, the way like inglorious bastards was tied to world war two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. Um, but yeah. That would be um, my number one. Um, my number two actually is the last one. And uh, honestly, I feel like you could almost watch those two 
like it just like themselves and have it be like you know a little cohesive thing um because i love backstories i love wrap-ups i love when it's done well and i thought that they did a beautiful thing with it so that would be why that's my number two um number three for me is, is the same as with ashes i loved number two um i thought it was fun how they brought in jill valentine and can i just say how much i loved when she drove that um motorcycle into the church flipped it up and shot it and like made it explode like it was like such like a b movie type horror action type of sequence that um was what really made that one fun it was more funny and more campy and that really i think was uh what made that movie for me um and then you had uh the third one which was all mad max desert world and then it was funny because they followed it up with an extremely moist movie everything was moist and wet because they had them swimming underneath uh channels and then they had like that crazy scene with the guy with the axe like with all the water which is you know i'm sure it looked great in 3d which i didn't see it in so <laughs> whatever and then uh bottom of the barrel for me was five right do i do that right yes so yeah yeah i think that the consensus is it was part five and i think my biggest disappointment with part five was they had all these um all these video game characters that they added to it you know they had barry who was part of the original stars team so if you're not familiar with resident evil the first one takes place uh at the Arclay Mansion, I think it's Arclay, in the Arclay Mountains. And uh, their helicopter goes down. It's a team uh, comprised of STARS members, the Special Tactic and Rescue Squadrons, who kind of like SWAT, but STARS. And Jill Valentine is one of them. There's Rebecca Byfield. There's Chris Redfield. Uh, I think her name's Rebecca Byfield. I might be confusing that with a writer. I don't know. Uh, but her name is Rebecca uh, then there's uh, Albert Wesker and Barry, who has one of the worst delivered lines in the history of video game voiceover. You nearly became a Jill sandwich. It's so bad. It's so bad. And this shows you like how the times have changed just a little bit when it comes to uh, video game protagonists because and i told you about this and colleen i'm I, you played the first one so i'm sure you remember this uh you have to you have to play it through a couple of times to really you know get all the secrets and really get a feel for it so you get a choice of playing either as chris redfield or as uh jill valentine if you play through as jill valentine these games have a lot of puzzles and things that you need to solve in order to advance in order to get keys and like little trinkets in order to unlock different places and it's weird uh but it's a lot of fun if there's a part where you have to play moonlight sonata on one of the pianos that's in this massive mansion if you play as jill jill just knows how to play the piano but if you play as chris no playing the piano that's for nerds and girls. He can't possibly do that himself. He's got to carry around all his biceps. So uh, Rebecca, who is the nurse or the medic, will play that for you because, excuse me, men don't play the piano. He's too busy carrying around his biceps. Yeah, he needs an extra pouch for all his masculinity. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And well, 
it you think the games you know the movies are ridiculous at one point like you kill wesker by punching a boulder until it falls into a volcano you punch punch a boulder until it falls into a volcano that sounds like like what's that is it brondo yes yes you feel like a fighter jet made out of biceps uh, when God gives you lemons, you find a new God. I actually just uh, introduced our, our friend Kurt to that. He had never seen it before. You didn't know about Brondo? Brondo the th- no, that wasn't Brondo. This was uh, Power Thirst, which then spawned Brondo. Because they did like three versions of Power Thirst from College Humor. And then they you found, uh, they they did Brondo, which was real, and I have drank it. I've had Brondo before. I was not aware that Brondo was a real thing. It was I a real thing. They made it. I think, I think they made it to coincide with the release of Idiocracy. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen, uh, you haven't lived in America for the past four years. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, the ga- the the characters that you find in Resident Evil Four, Ada Wong, uh, uh, Krauser, Krauser, you don't really get to see in the in the in the games i mean in the movies but leon kennedy leon is also in number two with claire redfield so they're taking a lot of the video game characters and you know i guess it's kind of understood that they're going through their own adventures but you're not following them like they just you know kind of cross paths with alice uh which is very similar to the plot line of resident evil 6 the video game where you can play as Chris, you can play as Jill, you can play as Leon, you can play as, uh, I believe, Albert Wesker's son. Um, and as you're playing through, like you go through certain points and you will run into these other characters. And you get to see, you know, what what's going on from your point of view. But then when you play as the other characters, and obviously your paths are going to cross with, like, say you start with Leon and you run into Chris. If you start with Chris eventually going to run into Leon, but you're going to see all the same events, but from your point of view. And it's actually a really cool way of telling the story because you're getting to see all these different uh, combinations of characters and like how you got to this particular situation. And it's a lot of fun. And Resident Evil 4 is my favorite because I love the dynamic between Leon and Ada Wong. But there's a lot of like bullshittery that goes on with Ada Wong and like especially like what we saw in the movie it's like oh uh there's this giant wave of water flooding the facility and we're about to all die don't worry we're totally fine like how did you make it hundreds of feet away into a submarine that was literally right behind you like it was 10 feet away you did not outrun this water to get into the submarine because she was asking that at the end of that movie when the submarine breaks all the ice up and she's like who the hell is in there and then like there's jill valentine standing there and it's like huh <laughs> how did that happen I'm like well poor writing that's how that happened like this one was my least favorite and we we all kind of agreed on that mm-hmm. uh resident evil retribution was the worst one although it did uh, Afterlife and Retribution could have been one film. Yes. Sure. Because the very end of Afterlife is the first 10 minutes or so of Retribution. 
And Afterlife is the only one that has a, a post credit or a mid credit scene, which uh, that's where you get to see that Jill Valentine is evil and blonde. And yeah, just... That threw me. <laughs> yeah, her too. She goes, who the hell is that? I'm like, that's Jill Valentine. No, it's not. She's blonde. I'm like, she can change her hair. She's wearing a different outfit too. Like that doesn't mean she's not Jill Valentine. She does look very different from the short cropped, like uh, her hair was like at her jawline in the second one. And this one, her hair is like all the way down to her ass and blonde. Like she does look totally different as a blonde. So I will, I will uh, concede that. Wait, was that the same actress? Yes, yeah, Anna Guillory. I thought it was a totally different mm. actress. I did too at first. I was like, she doesn't even look like the same person. Well, no. you have to remember that Resident Evil Apocalypse came out in 2004 and Resident Evil uh, Retribution and uh, or Afterlife came out in 2010 and then 2012. So she was six to she was six years older when this came out. A lot can change in six years. Ask Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean fair. Fair. Like he does not look like the same dude. Johnny Karate. I'm Kurt Macklin, FBI. Uh, yeah. So First of all, let's let's get into a little Colleen. When was the first time you saw you said you saw this in the theater? But what about uh, for the first one? But what about the subsequent films? No, all of them. Um, I actually didn't see anything further than uh, the third film until two days ago. So <laughs> I specifically watched them for this. And I was so happy that I did because um, I was pleasantly surprised by how they worked on Alice's story and really made it centric to her as opposed to trying to like reboot it and make it into exactly what the games were about. So I was happy that they actually went that road and did that. I know a whole bunch of, um, you know, video game fans were less than thrilled, but I think that it by making it its own thing, they really kind of gave a great power to themselves and to Alice herself as a character. Because doing anything less would have been a very big disservice to what uh, a great foundation they actually kind of put into the whole thing. Yeah, and I agree. And Ashes, you just watched them all over this past week mm -hmm. for the first time. Yes. Or in their entirety. And there were some that you had you'd never seen. Like you'd seen bits and pieces, but you hadn't seen any of them. So it's kind of interesting to get your guys' uh, point of view because we're all coming at this from uh, different different areas. Like, Colleen, you had seen the first three. You saw the first one in the theater, and you just watched the last three over the last few days. Ashes, you had never really seen any of them. Mm -hmm. I've seen them all like 10 times a piece. Like, we own them on digital. We own them all on Blu-ray. I love these movies so much. Um, and I think... Like, to kind of touch on Colleen's point, like the character of Alice is not found in the video games. Like there are characters that are like maybe bits and pieces of who she is that, you know, have been featured in the, in the games, but there's never really anybody like her probably because she'd be too overpowered for video games, especially considering, um, 
you know, how you have to go through and like, you know, the big thing, it's a survival horror series and you have to, um, you have to get your healing herbs and your first aid spray and your chicken eggs. And, you know, in order, you have to manage your inventory just right. You have to make sure you have enough bullets and, you know, don't use your, your shotgun on a crowd of zombies. Like, you know, do your best to use your knife and, you know, there's there's a lot of strategy involved when it comes to this. It's like, oh, I just got fought a whole bunch of zombies, but and I used all of my incendiary grenades and all this and that, but I made it through. Oh shit, a boss fight, and I have four bullets and a knife. I'm totally fucked. Now I have to go reload an old save because there's no way I'm gonna beat this final boss with four bullets and a knife. I mean, it's been done. Like there are people that have beaten it with just the knife, but I don't have that kind of patience or, you know, even though I've played it a million times, I don't think I have enough skill to beat it with just my knife. But again, I think part of that comes down to, I don't have the patience to sit there and go, yeah, 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 he's dead. Oh, there's 12 more guys as opposed to bam, you're dead. Bam, you're dead. Bam, you're dead. Like that's a lot more fun. Now to touch on what you said, Colleen, uh, a lot of people who were fans of the video game were not overly pleased with uh, how the uh, how the games or how the movies kind of captured that, because, like we said, you know, we we saw some of the video game characters, Car- Carlos Oliveira, um, who is in uh, Resident Evil Three, you know, Jill Valentine, um, you know, um, I'm totally blanking. Why am I? Um, um, Wesker, um, you know, Leon, Ada Wong, like all these characters, Nemesis, like Nemesis was the main bad guy in Resident Evil 3. Yeah. So I think had they not put any video game people into these movies, it would have been um, a different reaction from the fans. Because it's like, oh, well, we're just telling a different story. Like, you know, Resident Evil Veronica with Claire Redfield and that kid Steve who is just nobody like you never see him again you know Shiva in Resident Evil 5 you know all these things take place in different uh, parts of the country or different countries different timelines you know Resident Evil 0 Resident you know Operation Raccoon City um, Outbreak you know all these different games that have all these different settings and all these different characters they don't really overlap all that much so Ashes, I'll start with you. Going into these movies and as they progressed, what did you think of how uh, the world around Alice, how she adapted, really, uh, how she affected her environment? Uh Oh, yeah, Uh, that's a really good question. How she affected her environment versus how her environment affected her. I'm gonna have to think about that. <clears throat> All right. Well, I can I can kind of uh, throw that over to Colleen. So, Colleen, how about how about you? What do you think? Um, for Alice, how she affected everyone around her, like yeah, how she affected her environment and the people around her. Yeah. Um, I think it was actually kind of brought up by one of the characters in the later movies. Um, how she kind of um kept 
changing everything when once she uh, arrived or something happened because she did seem to kind of um, gear all these characters uh, into motion. Obviously, that's the whole point of the film itself, but everything changed for everyone that was around her. And unfortunately, it seems like everyone also seemed to die around her at the same time, too, because like Claire uh, Redfield had like this whole convoy of people that were doing OK, even though the you know, when she did get there, um, uh, Carlos Oliveira, who was super hot and can i just say i was so happy to see him uh reappear in some of the later films the what's his name oded Fahir, who is the uh super hot guy from the mummy films was also ardith bay from the uh from the mummy films yeah he he's he's wonderful um and, and that was such a pull of the heartstrings when they brought him into like that whole happy little fake family life in the beginning of the sixth film. Oh, oh why'd you do that to me? But yes, um, so she, you know, was kind of like an albatross to everything. And I think that that's why she kept running away. Because in almost every film, someone, uh, if she reconnected with one of her friends, which was just seemed to be inevitable they always asked her why'd you leave what what happened she's like well you know umbrella's after me every time i'm around everybody dies and i don't like that and you know she just was it was such a struggle for her to try to be a person or to try to have an identity outside of either a weapon or um whatever she ended up being for the people in charge so um you know it was it was kind of sad to watch her have to struggle through all of that but you know that was how she was written so <laughs> but they did a good job with her yeah because i mean even you know she was most often the cause of and solution to all of the problems like mm-hmm. we see uh her looking for gas where she finds the uh the um the notebook that has all the arcadia stuff she shoots the zombie that's walking around there stevie and then a bird eats his eye, and that bird becomes infected, who then infects all those other birds. And that's the bird that swarms Claire's convoy, kills Ashanti and a bunch of other people, turning them into zombies. And then there's other people that are, you know, and then uh, all the birds are killing people and ripping through all the all the kids. But then she shows up just in the nick of time to use the flamethrower and save Oded Fair and some random little girl. And then incinerate all the birds yeah i like what colleen said she's both the cause of and solution to most of the problems that happen that that you know that arise and but i think she increases people's survival odds and here's why because i mean even you know, we'll kind of go into her character evolution in a moment. So I don't want to give too much away right now. Uh, but even when she changes and no longer has certain abilities, you know, those have been stripped from her. She still has all of her training. She's mm-hmm. still a deadly assassin. And, and you know, her the way that her mind thinks is so different than anybody else. So I think that she increases people's odds of survival because a lot of people, you know, not so much the convoy, but like the people in the prison, um, some of the other people who she 
uh, comes into contact with, they're kind of sedentary. They're kind of like, we need help. We're to the point where we can no longer sustain ourselves. Um, we need you know, the, the, the foundation that we're in, the situation that we're in, um, you know, the, the, uh, where we're at like it, it's no longer functional it's no longer feasible you know like in like in the prison setting you know we find that the zombies are starting to dig like yeah, and that you know the and, whole and then that kind of yeah. you know so uh people if they had just stayed in the one spot they would have died anyways well but she kind of got them out of their situation and increased some of their odds for survival so let me let me uh, to kind of touch on this. Let's give a brief rundown of each of the films. So the first film finds uh, an outbreak of the T virus, which is what it's called. In later later films, there's the G virus, but or the in the games, but it's the T virus that starts it. Right. It's airborne. It's you know caused by we'll say an accident. Well, listen. Well, that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly In, run run down. Okay, Patrick, quickly run down the shows, the episodes, the, just, the movies. Do just, your thing. Just because you know it, it touches on the point that you guys are making, where she's the cause of and solution. So she's a security person at Umbrella. She wants to take Umbrella down, so she makes a deal with somebody who works on the inside. Her fake husband, uh overhears this and it's like oh well i'm gonna do it for you and he starts the outbreak by smashing one of the vials and getting everybody infected so we first see her passed out in the shower and this team shows up they go through the hive building which is uh, underneath the mansion where she and her husband spence have been stationed uh, as kind of like security to block that area because Umbrella is this huge corporation that uh, makes everything like 90% of the products in your home are made by Umbrella, you know, your TV, your, your, your cosmetics, like everything. They are just this huge corporation that's just absolutely unstoppable. And as they go through, they find out that the T virus is reanimating dead dead cells and half the people I would pretty much everybody dies uh, two people live through it her and this guy Matt an environmentalist who is the brother of her contact in the hive he ends up getting infected because he gets scratched by one of the uh, mutated monsters so then he becomes in the next movie the main bad guy and he's kind of the opposite side of the coin of Alice like they she bonded successfully with the T virus. He was mutated horribly by it, but he's also far more difficult to kill. You know, so there's a little bit of a back and forth. And so the whole thing is them trying to get out of Raccoon City, which is where she wakes up uh, at the end, because when her and Matt get out of the hive, there's a bunch of people waiting there to take them and, you know, experiment on them. Like, how did you get through? How did you get out? What happened? And they're like, let's go back into the hive and open it up, find out what happened. And all the zombies get out because they are that's just how zombie movies work. Mm -hmm. And the whole movie is them trying to get away, and they end up nuking Raccoon City. Uh, and she gets caught again, further experimented on, and ends up with like all these ridiculous powers. You know, telepathy, telekinesis, strength, speed, agility, you know, all that good stuff. And then that leads her to uh, 
kind of try to get away because she knows she's being tracked. They let her go at the end of that movie. Yep. Um, Umbrella does. And so she ends up meeting up like we were talking about. She meets up with the convoy after saving them from all the zombie birds that she created inadvertently. Uh, and they, they're like, okay, we have to get to a certain point. We need fuel if we're going to get to this place. And they go to that place and it turns out to be a trap. And, you know, then they, there's more fighting and it's just spirals every time she goes to help somebody. Look what you were saying, like in the fourth film, when they get to the prison, they, uh, you know, there were zombies tunneling up underneath the, uh, the, through the floor, but it's her presence exacerbates this because they sent that huge bioorganic weapon. The guy with the nails through his face with the giant ax to hunt her down and they don't care who gets killed in the process. Yep. And so the whole thing ends up being her uh, going back to the hive again. Cause they go back to the hive like four times. Yeah. Are they going to, they go to separate ones. Like, cause I think that one's like in Japan that she goes to. Right? Yeah. In the, in the uh, fifth movie. Yeah. There's one in Japan. Like they have these different outposts. Like there's one in the desert uh, in I don't know, Nevada-ish. Because they're able to drive there from Vegas on, like, no gas. And there's the one in Japan, there's one in France, there's one in England. Like, they have all these, like, hubs everywhere. And then there's, like, the Hive, which is, like, the main research facility. They have that one in Russia when they did all the simulations and they had that big fucking guy that was, like, knocking trucks around. Yeah, it was the Hive Prime, I believe, in that one. What they call yes. it, something like that. So, so what did you think about the progression of the story, Ashes? Oh, I'm allowed to talk on my own show. Yes, you, you, you I can totally talk now. Are. I have your permission. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, I really liked the way that her her storyline specifically progressed. She was the common thread amongst all of these different films, and you know the part of the the, the common story because you know obviously something different happened in each film. She met new characters, uh, you know, a new almost like side quest story headed for, you know, the, the main quest. I'm trying to throw some video game talk in there. Um, you know, uh, but she was the common thread for all of these films. And the main story, uh, her story is trying to figure out who she is why she is where she came from so in the first film you know we first see her she's passed out in the shower she's lost her memory due to the effects of nerve gas and the entire film like she's gaining some of her memory back but it's you know almost like her she she regains her short-term memory not her long-term memory so she doesn't really she knows her name is alice and that's it she doesn't have a last name uh she knew she lived in the mansion at the the hive she figured that she was security um but that's really about it she doesn't know really who she is or what her her purpose is who are these people around her you know so she's trying to remember and you know she's thinking that these the the effects of this nerve gas is just gonna it's gonna go away 
and she's going to remember who she is, but she never does. And that is the common thread through all of these films. You know, she remembers some things, but she doesn't remember everything. She doesn't remember where she came from. She doesn't remember her parents. She doesn't remember, you know, do I have siblings? You know, um, what was my wedding like? Because she's, you know, Mary was married. Granted, it was a sham marriage, but like, you know, she was married to this guy. She has no recollection of, of any of this life you know and and that's kind of uh her part of her driving frustration that you know gets her from point a to point z at the end and i really enjoyed how z for zombie z for zombie yes i really enjoyed how linear that progression was every film served a purpose in the sense that not only did it add to the overall main story but it added a little more to her story you found out a little bit more about alice every single film you know you learned that she was infected with the t virus you learned that she didn't respond the way other people you know she didn't become a zombie uh she didn't become one of these mutant. crazy mutant monsters that we see which i loved some of the character designs of those monsters i like, love nemesis. nemesis was amazing i wish some of those other like the axe wielding creatures yeah i wish those had names i'm sure they do but i don't i don't know what they are right offhand but you know even down to the dogs and the way that there's some of these zombies and some of these creatures uh continue to mutate and progress you know having these uh tentacle like face hugger type things come out of their mouths and be all like Mrah. yeah like the weird spiky tentacles yeah, and like teeth the, on them. the way that the dogs kind of split in half i think that was what the fourth or fifth one i think that, that yeah, was the fifth that one was yeah that was retribution when they split in half and all of a sudden you know the tentacle like creatures were like oh it was it was so gross but so cool um yeah. you know so not only did we get like you know these great character progressions but her progression was just really interesting and then you know learning that she kind of evolved the t the, the t virus evolved within her they were called axeman uh, that that's really and wow. the um the tentacle face they're called magini undead and there was the liquors guess what they did um are those the puppies no, those oh, are no, those were the those were the brain things the guys yeah, with the brains with the long tongues uh those weird jabberwocky oh, you looking know, you're talking about gene simmons yes uh where kipep kipepio kipepio i don't know the the four-winged almost uh uh jeepers creepers looking guys like the big four wing things that were flying around in the last mm -hmm. two movies kipepeo k-i-p-e-p-e-o uh, then there was the Las Plagas Undead, which is from Resident Evil 4, the movie or the game. But we saw them in Resident Evil 5 Retribution. Um, that one, again, I think was mostly fan service. They threw a lot of stuff in there from the games. And I think it was too, too much. But I also liked how we got to see her powers evolve as well. Like I said, she was able to kind of take this T virus and really use it 
to her advantage and evolve herself with the evolution of this virus. Um, and even after she was cured, so to speak, stripped of her power, know, stripped of the given the the antivirus, umbrellas taking back its property. Um, you know, she was still able to evolve and adapt. Like she still had her her smarts about her. She still had, you know, her training, her strength, her agility. Uh, you know, her ability to think quickly on her feet. Her ability to, you know, her fighting skill. Yeah, like she still had all of this stuff available. So even though she didn't have, you know, the kind of like ESP like powers, telepathy, telekinesis, yeah, sensing um, infections. You know, being able to to rapidly uh, heal herself and stuff, she was still like a fucking badass. And then, you know, the movie progressed into the last film where I thought it did a really good job of tying everything up into this nice little package with a nice little, nice little bow on nice it. little package! You know, um, you find out everything for the most part all of these questions that she still had as a can't you know at the character like who am i why can't i remember anything you know um where did i come from and you it know, wasn't exposited in like a shitty right, way you know and and questions that we had as the audience like who the fuck is she who's alice like we love her but you know i i want to i want more of a backstory you get that in the final film and i i love that i love that so much that was super satisfying. And I don't think that it would have been as good of a tie-in if they didn't do that. Or it wouldn't have had a, a good ending and none of the other movies would have like made sense if they didn't do what they did in the end. Um, mm -hmm. and I think it's really interesting how in every film that they had her in, like she almost seemed like she was um, tied in or programmed to be a security person. Like like even though that's the was said to be her job in the first movie is that she was the umbrella security. What she did in every subsequent film was find, you know, the survivors and then she acted as a sort of uh, security force for them. She always tried to find shelter. She tried to make sure everyone made it or as many people as, you know, uh, could be saved trying to get to the, like the next point for core survival for everybody. Yeah. And she would uh, do all kinds of stuff that, allowed them to uh you know you know she, she almost like turned into like okay uh like adding a new foreman to a, a construction job because like we saw in the sixth one where she comes in and like oh hi ruby rose's character i need you to make me some trebuchets and i'm gonna do some math and some physics here i'm gonna mark some spots on the ground and show you exactly where you know when the when the bad guys get to this point, you know, fire this trebuchet and like set up all this stuff. And it's like, oh, we have like 12 minutes to set up all these like super elaborate home alone traps. Like, let's uh, let's see what we can do. Yeah, that was a bit wild. <laughs> so. How do you think the story progressed? Like, do you think the story progressed in a way that uh, made sense or was it like, man, this is really convoluted. And I think that, the, you know, this is so on Because there's a lot of like double crossing and like, hey, I thought that guy was dead and clones. And 
you know, I feel like they really like, like, oh, well, this is what we did and there's clones. Let's really lean into this clone thing and yeah, like for sure. make it a core part of the, the rest of the films. So you look like you want to say something. Well, I, I kind of, you know, at, at first the clone thing was like a bit much, especially with all the clones of her specifically. But again, the ending made sense. Like everything made sense. The fact that, you know, Dr. Isaacs was a clone and, you know, Alice is a clone, but you don't think she's a clone because there are clones of the clone and you know she is the most advanced clone that they were able to get uh not all all of the other alice clones you know progressed as as well as she did as far as she did or lasted as long and that's the what they were trying clone, yeah. yeah she was the first one they made all the other clones from her blood supposedly on the surface anyway Yes, yes. And that's why I mean and then that makes sense. Alice being a clone makes sense as to why all of these other clones were not working out as well because you're making a clone of a clone. A clone of a clone is not going to be as powerful uh, the exact same thing as the clone of the actual person. Right. It's a, if you make a copy of a copy, the, it's not it's not going to be the original and the co the second copy is never going to be quite right. You know, and that makes Dr. Isaac's uh research in what is that the third one? Yes. Um it makes it make so much more sense. And then the fact that that Dr. Isaacs was actually a clone of Dr. Isaacs and there were other clones of Dr. Isaacs. See, that's when I got a lot. I was like, oh, okay, it's a clone of a clone of a clone. Yeah. Like a plot device than a thought out from a preconception. Yeah. I mean, the multiple clones of Alice made sense, you know, in the sense that they were trying to, you know, because they, they thought they had lost Project Alice. You know, she was unable to be found by the satellite for months. So they were trying to recreate her, replicate her, and try to advance that clone to be at the same level that Project Alice was at. But, you know, again, the, the clone is never as good as the original, or I should say the, the clone of the clone is never as good as the original clone. So they weren't able to, you know, ob obtain that. And, and it made that, that made sense. Well, it's part of it is Paul W. Sanderson wrote and directed the first one. Um, Alexander Witt came in for the second one. Russell Mulcahy did the third one. So at that point, you know, at the end of the third one, you find out about all the clones or in the third one, the beginning of the third one, you find out about all the clones and how they've replicated, you know, uh, Alice's uh, emergence into Raccoon City and, you know, her, you know, her flight through the hospital after she gets, uh, after she wakes up, you know, from the, uh, from the nerve gas and everything, uh, they kind of combine the first two movies, you know, her uh, awakening, we'll call it. And 
Now they're like, okay, we finished this third movie, and you know, the end of the third movie is like, oh, I'm coming to get you on the, all over the world, and I'm uh, bringing some of my friends. And they're like, okay, good luck. And I think there's it's a harder time to maintain continuity in a story when you have multiple people writing and directing in a series. I don't know if I were to just throw a franchise out there, not that, you know, uh, Star Wars, um, you know, just throwing it out there. Like the first six Star Wars movies had a continuity uh, and then they didn't anymore. You know, that's why Lord of the Rings works so well. Like if Peter Jackson had directed, you know, Fellowship and Return of the King, but like somebody random, like, you know, Joss Whedon, you know, did the second one, like it would have been a totally disjointed story and would not have flowed, even though it's all the same source material, the story would not have flowed quite the same way. With this, it's a little more difficult because you're kind of creating on the fly. Um, but I think the fifth one was almost done as like a retcon of like, we're getting rid of all of this stuff from like we have to continue the story in four and five when four and five are essentially one film. So he kind of used that to like, okay, let's get back to the beginning, you know, back to like the original stuff and wrap up that story from the first one. So it's almost like he took the second part of this, the second half of this and was like, all right, I want to finish telling my story from part one, but I kind of have to cleanse uh, the stuff that happened in part two and part three even though it was really good where it was leading me didn't quite land where i wanted the story to go so i need three movies in order to finish telling my story essentially what he was doing was making a sequel to the first one like like you were saying like the way you liked them yep part six could have been just a direct like they could have skipped two three four and five could have just had one and six. Yep. And that could have been the whole thing. I mean, I'm glad they made six movies because I really liked it. And I liked kind of showing the progression of how, uh, how the world was kind of like changing and moving on. And, you know, the... what I said, it was just fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Like we know what these movies <laughs> were going into them. We're not like, Oh man, Let's see, which clip should we submit for Oscar consideration? You know, it was, this is a fun action movie. So I have a question for you specifically, Colleen. <laughs> um, so you just watched the final film a couple of days ago. I just watched it yesterday. Um, what was your reaction to finding out everything to finding out you know who alice was how she came to be and how her story was we'll say wrapped up for lack of a better word right it really was wrapped up and i was pleasantly surprised i was shocked i didn't really see it coming to be honest like i really didn't think that she was a clone i didn't think that um it, it was funny because I really thought that there was some type of relationship between her and the daughter um, of, um, well, it was Wesker's daughter, right? That was the one that was um, paralyzed. 
I believe. Yes. What in which in which movie? Um, the first and the second. Well, actually, throughout all of them, it was always uh, the Red Queen. Was um, oh, oh, oh um, yeah, because yeah. always thought there was like a, a some type of rapport, like that um, the AI knew something that um, Alice didn't, and the fact that she was a clone was the something that she was always kind of keeping from her. Or it wasn't Wesker's daughter. That was um, it was one of the other. It was the the creator of the T virus. Yeah, her dad. It's. I mean, that AI is is based on her as a child. Right. Uh, the Alicia Marcus. Um, that was. Uh, you know, because she was a clone. Alice is the clone of the original Alicia Marcus. Alicia. Yeah. So, yeah, like there's a weird yeah. dynamic that they had. Like once the. Uh, like. So is that is that Odin or is that Alora? That's Alora. She's happy speaking. They're playing in the, in the playroom. They're like a whole hallway and a half away. So whatever they're doing, she's having a blast with it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, she's she's like what? She's a little over one. She just turned one in January. Yeah. So. Yeah, so very little over one. Uh, but yeah, she's um, uh, Alicia Marcus. Her she uh, it's very similar to the story of um, Jared Harris's character in the second movie where um, his daughter Angie was going to have a, uh, an issue walking uh, and he helped develop the T virus um, to prevent her from getting the same genetic disorder that he had. I mean, mm-hmm. he had it, but it was, he was able to cure it in her and they kind of took that story and changed it over to uh, Alicia Marcus which, you know, again, that kind of ties back into him trying to retcon where the story went. Because we see Angie at the end of the second film, and then she's just gone. Like, you never see her again. And the Red Queen AI is played by different actresses every single time we see her. And the final time we see it in part six, she's actually being played by Ever Anderson. Because you look at it, it's like, wow, whoever they cast does a great, like, they. she looks like a young, uh, a, a young Mila, Miljo. Like, they, she looks like a young Miljo. And, like, there's even that one transition where you see her uh, kind of, like, age up into, like, that weird, like, transition that they do. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that's Ever Anderson. That's her and Paul W.S. Anderson's daughter. So it makes sense that it looks a lot like her because it is a younger version of her kind of not quite a clone, but, you know, 50 percent clone. I thought that scene, that one scene in particular that just kind of wrapped everything up, you know, answered all all of these questions, because, I mean, one of the questions, you know, I had from the beginning is who's the Red Queen? Yeah. You know, I was very intrigued by this character, this this AI that was developed, uh, because obviously it was de- developed in someone's likeness. And, you know, I thought it was weird that they would choose a child to, you know, uh, be the face and voice for this uh, high intelligence in system. Um you know, so I like the fact that they answered that question. They answered why the T virus was was made, which you know we kind of knew a, a little bit from you know 
part the second two. one. Yeah. Um, you know, but but in it makes sense though because a lot of times you know scientists work together on research projects so it would make sense that maybe this scientist who created the t-virus worked with jared harris's scientist character to create the t-virus both for similar situations you know both to they could have piggybacked off each other's research right you know uh hey we're doing this with the intent of of helping saving our daughters you know uh jared harris wanted to give his daughter a better life you know as opposed to you know her her being wheelchair bound like he was yeah because they even mentioned like she had to get around with crutches and it was just going to get worse and like we see the the shot of the crutches leaning against the wheelchair in the upstairs of their house little tiny yeah. tip moment yeah yes. absolutely God bless us, everyone. Well, and they you know to touch on what you were saying you know like you don't really know who the red queen is modeled after they just said modeled after the programmer the programmer's daughter. daughter yeah and then you find out in the sixth movie that we, he programmed the ai right based on her like he captured because her likeness he was trying her voice. to you know that the, the t-virus was made to keep her alive because she had this rapid aging disease and this was prior to the uh he created this ai and everything prior to her um you know getting you know getting cured for lack of a better term, um, because he's like, I'm going to lose my daughter and I'm going to lose her so soon, but I want to have these memories and, you know, kind of like this will be a way for her to live on. Right. So, it, you know, in that moment, you have Alice learning that she is a clone of Alicia Marcus. You have her face to face with Alicia Marcus, who is Mila Jovovich in old person makeup. Mm -hmm. um, and you have the Red Queen in her full form, you know, Mila Jovovich's daughter. You know, it was just a, a full circle moment for me. It was very nice. And I was just like, why? Like, it just kind of like, cool, mind blown. Everything made sense in that one moment. What I just, I, I totally forgot. Um, the Red Queen was set up as like the defense system and like the, yes. the AI after Isaacs killed Marcus. He just used all of the, the data that, uh, what's his name had already gathered after what Marcus had already gathered and just kind of like, Oh, well I don't want to do my own work and create all this. I'll just use what he's already built. And mm -hmm. like, that's going to be my AI. And to be honest, I mean like what's creepier than like a little girl with a British accent, like you're all going to die down you're here. You're all going to die down here. Oh, crumpets. Time for the last movie. <laughs> <laughs> But it was just, it was so good. It was so delicious. Just, you know, seeing and, and for Alice. It was like looking at learn, three generations of a well, family. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, you know, for Alice to be like, this is me. If I had been younger, that's what I would have looked like. And, you know, if I, if, if I age, because we don't really know if she's age, if, if clones can age, like we don't really know. Well, she, I think she can age, but she's it's only been like five years. Well, that's what I'm going to say. Like, we time. don't, you know, we don't know. And, um, you know, even then from her uh, 
when she was we'll say when she was made, not when she was born. When she was active, uh, when activated. She was, like yeah, when she it. was activated. You know, like we don't know how old she is. We don't know. We don't really see an age progression of her character in these years because you know th- throughout the films because it's it's such a short time span. So you know she's seeing what she could potentially be if she were to age i just thought that was it was just a really cool effect it was a nice way of kind of you know being like here's your backstory and speaking of backstory when um at the at the end so show she was able to release the antivirus even though she was under that that the pretense that the antivirus was going to kill anything that had the virus in it it would destroy all the t virus infected including cells. her and I think that that was something they touched on in the last movie too, was like they wanted to be sure all the things they put her through was to be sure that she'd do the right thing and that she would, um, you know, sacrifice herself to save the rest of the survivors and uh, all of humanity. And um, I think that that was part of her whole little role as like that security um, person. And in every movie, she always does that. Like that seems to be her little, little quirk or flaw is she will always um sacrifice herself for just rescuing one person like that little mm-hmm. girl in the fifth movie and going back for you know someone that falls or trying to she almost gets sucked up into the blades to like help that girl with the backpack whose father was like you know the guy that mm-hmm. worked at the chop shop and mm-hmm. you know, every movie she does that so for her to do uh, to do that ultimate type of sacrifice, you know, after just seeing her potential past and future, you know, self giving that away was such a huge thing for her, but it was also the primal element that was her character in every film and something that was probably the only most constant thing was her drive to save those around her and to act as a security force. So I think that that was great that they did that and, they did it beautifully. It was actually really touching. And I was not expecting that from, you know, uh, this series of movies to wrap up in such a way. But it yeah. was really great. Well, I... It's what it's what made her human. Yes, exactly. You know, her putting humanity before herself, not even knowing what she was, you know, um is what it's what made her human and the fact that you know at the very end of the sixth film she was bestowed you know when when she didn't die you know she thought she was gonna die she didn't die claire redfield comes for her you know and and let me just that is one badass sisterhood right there claire Redfield and alice Mm -hmm. love that would totally like i'm really hoping that like i don't know they they entered into a relationship together or something like in my mind they're together and they're really happy and they're like living by the beach somewhere you know wearing turquoise jewelry and caftans like that's that's you know uh they, they've retired and they're happy um but the the gift that was bestowed upon her all of these memories yeah, it's it's to give her a sense of purpose and a backstory, the thing that she had been searching for throughout these entire, you know, six the span of six films. The last thing that happens is, you know, Alicia Marcus had put on, you know, in in this this little 
database thing, you know, all of these memories, these pictures, these videos of her, her as a her child, memories, her yeah. growing up to give Alice a backstory. Like I just, yeah. So that, you know, it, I was here for it. So here for it. Absolutely. So to, to kind of touch on what you were saying about her, you know, how old she is and all this stuff, I would say, you know, let's take her age at the time of the filming of the first film. So she was 27. That's, you know, because Mila Jovovich was 27 when that came out. She's, um, she doesn't age. She's like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and she was, she's she, born in 75 and... Uh, the movie came out in 2002, so she was 27. And by 2016, when she was 41, she still looked the same. Like, you know, so it spanned 14 years, but she still, like, even now, like Monster Hunter, she looks exactly the same. She does. Um, so I think that also really helped sell the character because she d hasn't changed how she looks. I loved her in Zoolander. I just have to throw that out there. I loved her in Zoolander so much. Uh, I'm still more of a fifth element. Like she's Fifth Element's my favorite movie. So you know, it's it's funny. Like you know, when people talk about like the biggest action stars, you know, her name doesn't get brought up nearly enough. And she did most of her own stunts. Yes, yeah. and every movie she's in, she's just like super badass and fights and kicks the shit out of people. Like she trained for three months for the first film just to be able to do like the running up the wall thing to do this kill the Kicking zombie the dogs and punching yeah. people and like i mean it, three months to just do that one stunt on her own like there were only a couple of stunts that her agent was like yeah you really shouldn't do this because you know you should really have a trained professional because you could be putting your 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 life at, at risk doing this yeah and i yeah there's a couple of them but yeah she's so she's so good um so if we if we take into account like what they said in the film, you know, I'm sure she will age normally because um, they said the only thing that they took away was uh, the progeria gene. You know, so she's a perfect physical copy in every way, but they tweaked her biology just enough so that they wouldn't she wouldn't have the weaknesses that Alicia Marcus had, which is why her name is Alice and not Alicia, because she's while she's a clone she's not an exact clone mm -hmm. um at least that's my theory that's how i look at it but i like the the, uh, the conclusions you guys are coming to and um you know looking at it after watching the movie so many times i never really thought to you know kind of sit down and analyze them until we decided we were going to do this for the show um you know we just we were just like, oh, these are these are fun movies. Like, let me just watch it. Oh, I love this part. Oh, this is a cool scene. Oh, this is this is really cool. She's such a badass and she's just awesome. But like sitting down and like actually analyzing and thinking like, what does this mean? Why is this happen? Like, you know, how did having a different writer sort of affect? And you get also to see the influence of other films at the time on um these films like what's popular oh this is popular yeah like i said you know the the fifth one is a million percent a ripoff of the matrix you know the one that came uh, uh afterlife that came out in uh 2010 it's like oh we're using 3d like i believe that's right around the time that like 3d was kind of getting like another 
you know, like uh, Renaissance, like it was coming Mm -hmm. back a little bit. You know, we saw the uh, the remake of uh, My Bloody Valentine and like Piranha 3 Double D and like, you know, all these things were coming out around that time. 3D. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I guess. But like, it just wasn't. I don't know. Uh, and then people were buying the 3D TVs. Remember mm-hmm. those? Remember the 3D TVs that lasted like a month? They were like $600 million. And people were like, oh, I got like six of them. Uh, yeah. But all in all, uh, Colleen, what would you what would you say? Would you would you recommend this series to someone? And if you would, uh, to whom would you recommend it? Like what sort of fandom would you recommend this series? absolutely would recommend it and I would recommend it specifically to the people that like um you know just the run-of-the-mill horror zombie and um I wouldn't even put it in with the b-movie campy type horror stuff like the second one the second film you can see how it could have gone that way and they were kind of gearing it towards that with being silly with like some of the scenes with LJ and stuff like that um who was a great character it was so sad motherfucker please my kid is custom custom and then he never shot it the whole movie i think he did he even use it in the third i'm not even sure he was in this in this in the uh in the third one yeah yeah <laughs> but still um so because it surprised me i i did re-watch all of the films like this week it surprised me um uh, with the last one how it just really turned into a totally different wrap-up movie and it did kind of like just wash over some of the um elements of like the first few but if you do watch like one to six or you know you just feel like doing a rundown of all of them just for the fun of a good good horror run and just a good um fun family thing like i watched it with like my 13 and 10 year olds and they loved it and what was funny is um i think it was in the fourth one and my daughter goes you know i'm really loving how many of these like uh female bass protagonists are in this film and i was like you know it's true because this um i know we were talking about how badass mila is just as an actress herself but it's true nobody really mentions her or these films or anything as like a oh strong woman in a movie type film when she really Mm -hmm. is in almost everything that she's in so well and Allie larder really fucking kicked ass too like she i didn't really there really wasn't any of like those female horror oh let me run with my tits out type moments and i think that that was like kind of a not that i mind that in <laughs> my camp before but i was happy that they didn't filter that into this uh this series so uh at all i think so um i mean the closest was- you came and you you kind of mentioned it with your uh watching it with the with the girls was uh when lj got distracted and crashed his cadillac yeah, <laughs> that was right. That was right. My thirteen-year-old was like, "He really crashed his car during apocalypse for that." Or that was my ten-year-old. My thirteen-year-old was like, "Yeah, because those aren't normal stripper tits. Those are zombie pandemic." <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> no, that was amazing. That was awesome. But yeah, no. So it's it is it's fun. It's it's a good watch. So. Yeah. How about you, uh, uh, slashes, ashes? 
I always do that. She has too many nicknames. So I, the other night I called her Slashes Von Nightmare on the sports show. And on the show I just called her Slashes. I mean, it, it, it fits, you know, especially for the subject matter. I had so much fun with these films. I'm really glad I watched them. Most of them I'll revisit, especially one, two, three, four, and six. <laughs> we'll, we'll probably leave five out um but definitely the first couple I, I i i had a lot of fun with them they're you know being a horror va- uh, fan i really like all different aspects of horror uh you know in science fiction and this really kind of marries the two together quite nicely it's it's not going to save the world it's not going to you know uh be a profound series that's going to make you think and change your life, but it's highly entertaining. And, you know, touching on what you said, Colleen, the way that the the women are portrayed, you know, they're valued, they're not over-sexualized and you know, it, it, it's real life. Like how, you know, you could really see those situations happening. You know what I mean? It's it, things don't happen to kind of take you away from that. You know how sometimes you're watching a a movie and there's like a big dumb sex scene or something and you're just like, this just completely takes me out of what's actually happening. I'm not in this anymore. You know, sometimes it fits perfectly and I'm here for it, but sometimes it just doesn't. And, you know, they, they just add things in for the sake of adding things in. And these movies didn't need any of that at all. I thought the action was fantastic. You know, you could tell that there were some strings and some stuff involved, but still, you know, I, I thought overall it was a really good job. And as much as I love practical effects, the CGI, I mean, in the earlier ones, the CGI was definitely the CGI of the early 2000s, but it progressed as the, the films, you know, got on in, in years. Um, but well, the creature design... I really enjoyed some of these creatures design and the way being a a science person myself, I really liked the fact that they laid out ground rules that allowed them to take this story in multiple directions. So, you know, Umbrella is this crazy corporation that's everywhere, owns a lot of things, all powerful uh, and, and a lot of, just absolutely brilliant scientists and researchers work for them. Cool. Okay. So a lot of the stuff that you hear about umbrella coming out of umbrella and stuff makes sense. You know, the fact that the, the T virus, they don't know much about it. It's mutating differently, uh, causing mutations in different people, different people are reacting to it. You know, we see how Alice reacts to it and, you know, forms a bond with it. We see how, you know, the nemesis is mutated by it. We see how the dogs are reacted to it. We see how even the zombies themselves, you know, each individual person reacts to the virus differently. So, you know, by creating that rule that, you know, no one person really reacts the same to the virus, it hits people at different times. 
It starts to break down your system at different times. It starts to affect you differently at different times, you know, versus having a, there was no pattern to it. So it, it allowed them to create all of these different stories, all of these different monsters and still be true to the overall story because of the, the groundwork that was laid out. It, you know, one of the thing that, things that Patrick hates is that, you know, when you create a set of rules, follow the rules. You know, if you're going to create rules, you need to follow those rules. You know, don't create rules and then not follow them. So by kind of creating this, you know, open-ended question about everything, they were able to create these rules and be able to, they were able to bend these rules a little bit, you know, in each film. Right. Because they weren't necessarily set in stone. And yeah, I they, liked that. I liked that a lot. I thought that it really lended well to the storytelling because you weren't confined by these specific rules or, you know, you didn't lay out these specific rules to the, the want, you know, to the people watching. And then just, you know, by the second film say, oh, well, fuck this. We're going to go in this direction. Right. Like they, they were saying like every time, that you know like we saw the uh, the liquors in the first movie and you know they explained it like okay now it's ingesting fresh human fresh dna it's going to mutate based on that you know if it eats live dna it's going to mutate differently that way you know like things are going to get bigger they're going to you know evolve you know tighter defenses bigger claws you know it's it's weird and it affects everyone differently and the virus is tra- transmitted so many different ways like we saw matt get scratched and he became nemesis. Well, he got scratched and was infected. And then they kind of steered the virus the way that they wanted it to go. And he became nemesis, you know, because they also added the different implants so they could control him, you know, which we saw throughout the films. Like there's everybody has these different implants uh, almost on a cellular level. Uh-huh. But uh, if I'm recommending this to someone, I'm recommending recommending it to someone who likes action films who likes zombie films um i'm recommending this to um people who just like again badass female protagonists um you know if somebody says well what if i didn't watch the video if i didn't play the games it doesn't matter it's not really tied to the games in any meaningful way like you know you see a couple of characters and locations that are mentioned in the game but you know, it's like two separate entities. It, it has nothing to do. It's like, oh, well, will I enjoy Pirates of the Caribbean in the movie if I've never been on the ride? It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it'll it'll be fine. Will I enjoy the spinning teacups if I don't drink tea? I mean, yeah, neither no. of those things has anything to do with each other. So, yeah, like, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, before we finish this up though because we are a pretty good spot to kind of close things out i do want to mention that there is later this year a reboot film coming yeah. out mm-hmm. uh, and i will call it, uh, this one seems like it's going to be a lot more tied to the games uh so jill valentine will be in. what was that i said it's also tied to game of thrones which we were speaking about earlier because dick yeah. We're gonna because uh, we're, we're gonna run down the cast. Is, real is quick. the big woman there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you talking about Resident Evil or Brienne of Tarth? Both. So that 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 see, that's a good way to tie those together. Um, so Hannah John Kamen 
will be playing Jill Valentine. You might recognize her as uh, the character Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, she was part of the Dosh Colleen in uh, Game of Thrones. She was the one who went outside with uh, with Daenerys when she met up with, uh, again, another Resident Evil, Ian Glenn and uh, Dario Naharis. Uh, Neil McDonough will be playing William Birkin, who mm. is the uh, the guy in the second movie who experimented on himself, and you have to rescue his daughter, Sherry. And if you've played the newer one, you actually play as Sherry during part of this game. Uh, Neil McDonough, you might know as Dum uh, Dum Dugan from uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, as well as... Uh, I think... He- Desperate Housewives. Desperate house bags, uh, but yeah, Neil McDonough. He's, he was a he was a bad guy on Desperate Housewives. I was gonna say he usually plays. A he bad married guy. Nicolette Sheridan's character. He was a bad guy in uh, Walking Tall, the remake with uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He was a bad guy. He's usually a bad guy. Well, except there was this series a while ago about the uh, NHS. That he was in and he wasn't a bad guy national honor society no the the health organization hhs no i don't know it's the nhs he was right? in the brothers as well if you ever watched that show he did not uh but he plays william birkin uh moving on to kaya scotelario who i loved in crawl I thought she was awesome in that. She plays Claire Redfield. National Health Service, NHS. Boom, Mr. Know-It-All. I didn't know what you were talking about. Uh, Tom Hopper will be playing Albert Wesker, which is an interesting choice of uh, of character. Tom Hopper, uh, you might know from uh, both Game of Thrones, he played Dick on Tarly, as well as, and well, at least the second Dick on Tarly. He was not the first. Uh, as well as... Uh, the Umbrella Academy. Um, Robbie Amell will be playing Chris Redfield. Uh, Donald Logue will be Chief Brian Irons. Uh, I recognize the name, but I couldn't tell you what he was in. Other, oh, he's in. Oh, okay, he was in Blade. He was the guy who kept getting all his parts chopped off. Uh, he was in Ghost Rider. He was in The Patriot. Um, then we have, uh, and I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong. Uh, Avan, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. J O G I A. I'm just gonna spell it. Uh, he was in Zombie Lamb. He was uh, in Shaft, like the the sequel to Shaft. Uh, he played King Tut in Tut. Um, I'm not overly familiar with any of those films. Uh, Lily Gao will be Ada Wong. Uh, she was in The Expanse, and she played Nancy Gao. And uh, this one that I think is funny, uh, playing the part of uh, Brad, will be Nathan Dales, who you might know from Letterkenny. He plays uh, Daryl. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, so this one looks like it's, you know, kind of picking up the uh, first, second movie uh, vibe. I mean, first, second game vibe, uh, because... You know, you didn't have Claire in the first move in the first game. You had Jill. Claire came around in the second one, and Birkin was like the main bad guy, and uh, Leon was in that. And 
so it, I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Like you get to see like the first two things come together. Uh, it'll be interesting how they do that. Uh, it's due. It's expected September 3rd. Um, and it is being directed by Johan Roberts, written and directed by Johan Roberts. And uh, I am not familiar with that person. Oh, he did 47 meters down, uh, which I did enjoy. That was the one that was the first one with uh, Mandy Moore. So not the uh, third one, Uncaged, that we saw with uh, Sistine Stallone in the theaters back in the before times. <laughs> so fun fact, uh, Alice was going to be played by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Ooh. I don't think it would have been. And Gwyneth me. Paltrow was also approached for the role. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 I don't like either one of those. Sarah Michelle Geller was going to end up marrying uh, Paul W. S. Anderson, and her son and her kid would have been named Everapple. <laughs> I don't know what I did. I don't know. I was combining two storylines there. You're you were combining a lot of storylines there. She would have ended up marrying Paul W. S. Anderson, and Mila Jovovich wouldn't have. I don't know. I'm like, oh, we we named we uh, modeled the. Uh, red apple after your you know ai after your kid and it would have just been an apple that talked to her that's funny <laughs> he's getting the apple because uh gwyneth paltrow's eldest daughter's named apple she's the apple of her eye mm -hmm. more like the apple of her womb the fruit of her womb <laughs> But I did not know that Gwyneth Paltrow. It makes sense for Sarah Michelle Geller to be approached about that. Well, yeah, because she had just come off of being Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, so that makes sense. But I, she doesn't have like, I mean, I say this now, having six movies with with uh, Miljo, uh, I don't think she has quite the right look. Like Mila Jovovich has those. Those very expressive eyebrows. Well, she has a very. Um... She's hard. She's just yeah. Yes. Look to her, like you look at her, and you know you're not going to mess with that lady. You look at Sarah Michelle, you're like, oh, I could push her over maybe, but she does play a good badass in Buffy. But she has to earn that, and she still plays like a cheerleader look. So she doesn't quite have that whole, um, you know, don't mess with me vibe going. Like yeah. Our Yes, I mean, she plays Daphne in Scooby-Doo, and she does that well for a reason, because she has that kind of look. Right, like the, Mila Jovovich couldn't be The girl be Daphne. next door yes. type of, of look. Cheerleader you know? definitely, like, that. that's, like, right there. Like, it, it, you know, it's, like, her or, like, you know, to continue with the Buffy theme, Allison Hannigan or, like, Rose McGowan, like... You know, they have like, they, like what you said, like that soft look, like they don't have that, you know, like that look like even Allie Larder, who played, you know, that type of character before, like in Varsity Blues with the, the whipped cream bikini, like Allie Larder has that like mean, mean look to her, like when she wants to. Yeah, so does Michelle Rodriguez. Like she's like a hard oh, like so she has like that same type of look that Mila does. That's why they play such good 
uh, strong females in the, these films. So yeah. it's because they have resting bitch face. They do. It's fantastic. I love it. You know, which I mean, I'm I'm not saying anything because hi, um, <laughs> yeah, the same. You know, uh, we're having to wear a mask. People think I'm approachable now. I'm like. <laughs> you know <laughs> you seem no. so unapproachable yet here you are yeah um so i i think that that's it you know so certain characters you have to have a certain like natural look about you and a certain way that you carry yourself and i think that you know mila jovovich definitely has all of that mm -hmm. you know that very specific look about her but also you know the way that she carries herself it's something that she brings to all of the roles that she does regardless of of who or what she's playing now that i'm thinking about that you know you're, you've got my mind going like the only other person i could see who could be cast in that role and it's because she was in a movie around that time that gave her like the similar type of uh story Uma Thurman. I think Uma Thurman could have pulled off Alice, especially what we saw her in, uh, what we saw her do as Beatrix Kiddo. I was like, yeah, but she was too busy killing Bill. So I know, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, you could swap the two of them out, and I think it would have been, it would have worked. It's very rare that I could say that. But, but I'm hoping that this, you know, Resident Evil reboot doesn't include this Alice character. It doesn't. It's because, not. Well, I mean, I know it's not listed in the cast, but, you know, sometimes they don't list things on purpose. You know, well, they're trying this is... to keep things under wraps for the most part. Um, so I'm hoping that they don't do that because that character, that storyline was wrapped up so nicely that you know i would like to see something else well i think they're they're going more for a a truer adaptation of the video game like i said william birkin was the main bad guy and for people who don't watch the get you know who haven't played the games or haven't seen these movies like wesker's character arc will be very interesting um you know and getting tom hopper to play them but you know talking about the look of the characters um you know, Hannah, Hannah John Kamen, great choice for Jill Valentine. Uh, and Kaya Scodelario as Claire, perfect choice. Like, you know, they have that look where they could be badass. Like, and again, we saw both of them being badass characters within the last few years. You know, right. Hannah as Ghost and uh, Kaya as. Uh, Haley, I believe her name was in Crawl. Like she was awesome yeah. in Crawl, um, and I think she'll bring a lot of that to this series. So I'm very excited to see that. I don't think we'll see Alice or anything like that. We might still see the Red Queen. We might still see the White Queen because I believe there was some of that in some of these movies, but it was, I mean, some of the games, but it wasn't quite the same to the same extent. But I think we'll see a lot of that. But I think with that, uh, this is a good place to. Uh, take a quick break so we'll take a quick break and we'll come back we'll wrap up and uh we'll uh introduce our our new battle so we'll be uh we'll be right back hey there this is jb 
And if you enjoyed Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> hey, this is Andre Gower from the Monster Squad and Wolfman's Got Nards, a documentary. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And we're back. Uh, I hope you found that to be informative and uh, fun. Uh, I know I've learned some new stuff. So thank you, Ashes. And thank you, Colleen, for, uh, you know, kind of, you know, helping me look at these films in a different way that I really hadn't before. You know, like I said, I just watched them, you know, and I enjoyed them. But, you know, getting to, you know, actually sit down and break them down and think about the the, the plot implications and like the the, the implications in the world of, uh, the films, um, you know, it was, it's good. And, you know, like we said, I think it, it, the story wrapped up really well. Like if they wanted to, like they ended, they left it open-ended. So like, you know, cause how many times have you like, Oh, the final chapter. And then there's like three more of them. Um, 
you know, they left it open if they if the, somebody wanted to continue the story, like it didn't necessarily have to be Alice's story, but somebody could continue the story. You know, maybe those 4000 survivors that they were talking about. Um, but, you know, it kind of left the world open, like the 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 cure for the T-virus was sort of making its way around. And, you know, so you can kind of interpret how that was going to end, you know, and, and whatnot. But, you know, I thought it did a good job of wrapping everything up. So. This is cool getting to uh, to talk about these movies finally. I'm glad you enjoy them, Colleen. I'm glad you got to watch them and enjoy the the final three. Well, except for part five. But uh, <laughs> as a result, we have a new battle for you this week. And when we have a new battle, Ashes, what do we have? We have to play the battle theme. I'll play the battle theme here. Yeah, I can kind of chop this up. This is at what are we at? Two oh two fifty. All right. So, Ashes, what kind of what kind of battle do you have for us this week? We have a battle of epic proportions. We usually do, but this one I think is pretty awesome. It is the battle of the badass broads. And uh, who might these badasses be? So you have Project Alice after she was rid of the T the virus. T-virus. No T virus, just straight. So so no no of her none of her uh telepathy and supernatural esque powers, just yeah. her no superpowers. Typical. So pretty much uh afterlife and after. Yeah. Um Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road. Imperator Furiosa. Sarah Connor. From the Terminator franchise. Sakana! And Ellen Ripley from the Alien franchise. Hi, I'm Ellen Ripley. You know, it's kind of like, hi, I'm in Delaware. Because there's work. no like ridiculous stuff associated with her. She's just like, I'm Sue. Uh, oh, wait, uh, get away from her, you bitch. That's what she says. That's Game over, cycle. man. Well, that's Game Bill Paxton. Over. It's still in a movie that she was in. So is, uh, I collect spores, molds, and fungus, but that doesn't quite fit. So the sandbox is the Matrix. The training construct part of the Matrix, like when Neo fights Morpheus. And it's to knockout. So who do you have? Let us know on the Facebooks, on the Twitters. Yeah, like this is this. I think this is this might be our most tightly contested battle we ever have. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I and it's said, anything goes. So these ladies are really resourceful. And remember, and, it's in the Matrix training construct, so they can conjure whatever they want. And they're they're able to build things on the fly. They're able to use really interesting things to their ability, like like to their advantage. I guarantee um, Ripley uses a power loader. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this goes. And remember, kids, it's only to knock out. Anything goes, but to knock out because yeah, we, not, don't, we don't we don't we don't want to kill these lovely ladies. Non, yeah, it's non-lethal. Uh, we and just want them to go to sleep for a little bit. We're suspending the rules of the Matrix, where like you can kill your opponent, but it won't kill them in real life. So we're suspending those rules. So you whatever you need to do to incapacitate, we'll say incapacitate, because that. You know, doesn't necessarily mean knockout, but like, you know, oh, I tricked you into a snare and now you're stuck. You can't get out. Or, you know, I was able to 
chop your foot off and now you can't fight. You know? Because I'm sure there's going to be some improvised traps. I think Furiosa is going to do some like really uh, brutal, I don't want to call it underhanded, but like, you know, guerrilla warfare type things. Like, oh, you fell into this, you know, pit and, you know, your leg is impaled or like, you know, I hit a bear trap here and it just like chop you up. Now you're, you're stuck and you're incapacitated. You can't fight anymore. So, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty, a pretty brutal fight, especially at, like knowing that they can't do any long-term damage to each other. Cause it's all imagination. Science. <laughs> See that that's called a full circle mm-hmm. back around from the beginning. Wasn't planned. Just happened. It's organic. It's natural. Like grass. It's organic and natural. 100%. Spores, mold, and fungus. Spores, mold, and see? Look at that. See? Colleen gets it. Colleen <laughs> gets it. So uh, we have some big stuff coming up. We have our 250th episode coming. We have such awesome stuff. We have such sites to show you. Mm-hmm. Like there's some there's some good things coming down the uh, down the pipeline. Um, make sure you check out the uh, sports show coming up this week. We have a very special guest. Um, hopefully, we're gonna uh, be doing some crossovers with some other groups as well in the the coming weeks. Uh, also, be on the lookout soonishly for. The other side of midnight. That's gonna be coming out soon. Hopefully. I can't wait for that myself. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, so before we go, Slash, do you have any uh slashes? Ashes? Somebody needs to get his shit together. I have shit together. We do too many shows. Or not enough. I forget. You have a lot of nicknames. Whose fault is that? everybody else but me uh-huh so do you have any final thoughts before we go i mean on the series on you know life in general on anything life the universe and everything i need a drink yeah it's about that time it's nap time sleeping time so colleen i want to thank you ever so much for joining us for this uh very long show and allowing your uh your younglings to to run amok uh partially unsupervised because you do have the older girls watching the younger ones yes. so it's not bad you've got them uh, you've got them trained well mm-hmm. and uh so where can folks uh interact with you uh in the virtual world in the virtual world you can find me at amalgamania and you can also find me on my regular facebook page it's called c-o-l and then L-E, and then E-N, <laughs> spelling out Colleen. Um, so, yeah, if you want to interact with me, just send me a friend request. Awesome. So, again, thank you so much for joining us. This was a good time. I had a lot of fun. I did, too. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. And I don't know, we'll, we'll have to cover something that uh, you know more than us about. So, I don't know, we'll figure something out because... I'm sure like, you know, like the Dresden stuff or something like that. So there's so many books and so many movies and so many random things that I'm into because I cover the board and broad spectrum of everything in the 
from um, Korean dramas to anime to <laughs> like historical um, movies and shows. Like, I really can't believe you haven't seen Band of Brothers. That was crazy. Um, but yeah, so we'll do it. Yeah, even even looking behind you in your your little uh, yeah. you know your wall of uh, wall of fame there, you've got Lord of the Rings, Spaceballs, Space Ghost. Like it's. It's all kinds of all over the place. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm only just sad that I couldn't fit my uh, Kane Hodder and Carrie Fisher, <laughs> but they're in like special ones hanging in my living room. So yeah, and that's where they should be. Yeah. But uh, no, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You guys are so much fun. Well, we uh, we're glad. So I think with that being said, we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.